We'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 5 through 10. Last week, uh, we went from verse 1 to verse part of verse 5, and we saw that the Thessalonian church was a church that was an awesome church. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it says in verse 1, are the men writing this letter, commending them for the kind of church that they are. It's a very encouraging letter. Uh, very unlike the letter, say, to the Corinthians that was kind of a, a rough, uh, stern warning from Paul about all the things that were going on in the church and how they needed to address them. This is a letter where Paul is mostly saying, man, I see that God is at work in your life and that you're, you're doing all these great things for Jesus uh, and praise God for those things. Uh, so we see that they begin the letter very warm in verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our, in our prayers, remembering before God, this is what we talked about last week, uh, our God and Father, your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we mentioned that this, this church was known for being a church that had a work of faith or a faith that produced works, a labor of love. They were busy, they were laboring, they were working hard, but it was out of a love for God and for their neighbor. Uh, and they had an unmoving hope, an unmoving hope in Jesus, uh, especially in terms of his return. They were expecting that to happen and to happen soon. Um, so they were known for these qualities, and I asked the question, are we known for being a church that has a working faith, a labor of love, and a steadfast hope? Uh, and then we saw in verse 4, where Paul says, for we know, brothers, that you are loved by God, and that he has chosen you. And I mentioned that the reason they knew that God had chosen them for salvation, and that God loved them in a special way, was because of the kind of life that they were living. That life pointed to the fact that God had chosen them and that God loved them. Um, and the way they were able to do this uh, was not because they could muster up some sort of strength within themselves to say, well, let me just be more loving, let me have more faith, let me produce more works, uh, let me just work harder to be somebody who has more hope. Uh, the reason they were able to be a people of faith, hope, and love was because, what we see in verse 5, our gospel came to you and he mentions four things, in word, in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in full con with full conviction. Uh, so the gospel came to this church, they believed it, God saved them, uh, but it was a powerful gospel. It was a gospel that was clearly communicated. It was a gospel where the Spirit of God himself is the one who is causing that change in their lives and indwelling every believer, and it leads to full conviction. Uh, they were fully convinced that this was the truth and that God had come and changed their hearts and transformed their lives. Uh, so last week we were in those verses and we mentioned that it was a great church and that we can look to and ask ourselves the same question. Are we known for being this kind of people, for being this kind of church, a church that is full of people that have a faith that works, a love that labor, a labor of love, and a steadfast hope, and, and because we have embraced Christ, because we have believed the powerful gospel that comes with spirit and full conviction. So today we're going to continue reading this chapter, and we're going to see this big idea of being imitators and being examples. This was a church that was a church that was imitating those who were imitating Christ, uh, and by doing that, they became an example to other people around them. Uh, so this morning, I want us to see that. Are we imitators and examples to others? So let's take a look at verse 5. It says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. 
You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So Paul says, you know because you saw us. We lived there with you. We spent some time with you. Uh, You got to see the kind of people we are, the kind of men that we are. You got to see that we love God, that we trust in, in his promises. You got to see all those things. You got to see the kind of people, the kind of character that we have. And he says here, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the word imitation, uh, I tend to think of negative things. So, for example, when you go on, online and you're trying to buy a Bible, uh, and they, they give you different options. Uh, the paperback, and you have the hardcover, uh, you have maybe leather option, or what? Imitation leather, uh, or synthetic leather. Uh, and it's cheaper, way cheaper, than the, the actual leather Bible. Because it's a lot cheaper to make synthetic leather or imitation leather than actual leather. Now, it looks close enough, but it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't last as long. Uh, there's a reason why it's cheaper, because it's an inferior product. Now, that's what I tend to think. I know that imitation is not always in negative terms. But when I hear imitation, I think cheap. I think knockoff. I think something that's not going to last. I'd rather spend more money, Right? Um, and I don't know about you, but that's what comes to my mind. Uh, I was at a golf course one time, in, uh, actually golf range, and the guy next to me had these nice clubs. And I said, oh, how do you like your M6s? Um, that's the type of club, by the way, if you don't play golf. Um, but um, how do you like your M6s? And he goes, oh, I love them, man. They're great. Um, and I said, well, uh, how, did you, how much did you pay for those? And he said, well, uh, half of them are legit and half of them are knockoffs off of Wish.com. And <laughs> I was like, really? And he said, but they look the same, don't they? I'm like, they do. They actually look just like the the actual M6s. And he said, but there are some, man, that just feel clicky. They they just don't feel the same. Because, well, yeah, because they're not the real thing. It's an imitation. Uh, So in our culture, we hear the word imitation, and, and that's what comes to a lot of our minds is a knockoff, something that I don't want. I don't want any part of it. I don't want to have it. I don't want to pay for it. I don't want to be a knockoff. I don't want to be an imitator if that's what we're talking about. But for Paul, the word imitator here is a very different word. It it, it carries a very positive meaning. A commentator named Michael Martin says this, An imitator is to modern minds one who lacks creativity and depth. So I can't think of anything myself. I'm just going to take the M6 idea and create that club, even though uh, I, I can't make it quite that way, right? Uh, so he says, people like creativity and depth. An imitation sounds like something that is not a genuine article and is therefore inferior. Such concepts do not apply to the manner in which Paul used imitators. In virtually every letter, Paul presented himself as an example and called upon his readers to imitate his faith and his life. So in this sense, being an imitator is actually a really good thing. Being an imitator is not cheap, it is not inferior, and it is actually something that we should be doing. It's actually something that we should be making a priority in our lives for us to be imitators, not of just anything, but here in the text says, of us and of the Lord. We're imitators of us 
and of the Lord. So they had seen their conduct. They had seen their way of life. They had seen that Paul, Silas, and Timothy uh, lived in such a way that God was glorified in their lives. Um, in church, I, I think for us as believers, there are great benefits uh, for us in imitating those who imitate Christ and following those who follow Christ. Uh, and, and looking to people as examples, as role models to follow uh, for our own spiritual walk. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, I mention this friend a lot, and, and there's a reason why uh, he's been a great influence in my life. He, he's a missionary, very far part of the world. Uh, and when I first came to Christ, he actually led me to Christ. And he became one of the first people in my life that I could look to and say, Wow, that's what a godly man looks like. Uh, I, I want to be able to follow that example. He wasn't perfect. He has his flaws. He's a sinner like the rest of us. Uh, but he was that figure in my, early on in my life that I could say, I aspire to follow Christ as he follows Christ. Uh, and I think a lot of us could say, I hope that we have at least one person in our lives that we, we could look to and say, I, I want to imitate the godly behavior of that person. Uh, and, and if not, I want to encourage you and challenge you to think through that and look for people around you, maybe here, even here in our own church, that you could follow their example, that you could say, I want to be an imitator in the biblical sense. I want to follow the example of those who follow Jesus. I want to be someone who looks at their life closely and says there's a lot there to learn and that we should be humble enough to admit that and to say, yes, I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I haven't reached the peak and I never will. There is a lot I can learn from godly men and women around me. And here we're seeing a church who had done a really good job with that. They had seen Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of course, the Lord, Jesus, and they were imitating their behavior. Uh, they saw that they were loving God uh, and that they had been following in Jesus' footsteps, uh, who is our ultimate example of what a, how to live a life that pleases God. So when that's there, being an imitator, it's a great thing. So the Christian life should be a life of imitating. That should be part of who we are. That should be part of what we do as believers, that we imitate the behavior of those who imitate the behavior of Christ. Let's continue reading. It says here, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. So a life of imitating involves suffering. The Thessalonians did not have an easy time becoming Christians. Notice Paul says they received the word in much affliction. Uh, they were in a position where they may have been facing what some call uh, pretty severe or aggressive persecution, uh, or they may have been facing what people call passive persecution, or maybe a little bit of both. Um, we see that in Acts 17, Paul and Silas and Timothy are driven out of Thessalonica because certain Jews were not happy that the gospel was being preached, so they kick them out of the city. Uh, so there's some sort of sense of aggression there. Um, and I'm not sure, maybe they were experiencing that after Paul, Silas, and Timothy left. Uh, Paul and Silas sent Timothy back to check on the church because they knew that they were facing some struggles. They knew that they were facing some opposition. They knew that they were facing rejection. They knew that there were people in that city that did not want the gospel to continue to spread. So Paul sends Timothy back to say, hey man, go check on the church. Bring me back a report. Tim Timothy brings back a great report. But that report was not, oh, the persecution has stopped. 
He said, basically, the church was, was still doing good. I'm paraphrasing the thing, but um, it was still doing good, but the persecution continued. So it's not that their, their faith was strong because persecution left. Their faith was strong in the midst of it. So it was there. It was present. And I'm not sure if it was both or one of the other, um, but I would lean towards believing that it was both kinds, whether it was something like rejection from family or friends or co-workers uh, in, in, or ag aggression at times. And we know that in our day, we're still seeing these kinds of things. In our context, we may say, well, we have more of a passive persecution, uh, people getting fired from jobs because they believe certain things. Uh, maybe some of your family uh, ridicules you or mocks you because you're a believer. Uh, we see that kind of thing is more common in our context. In other parts of the world, we see aggressive persecution is more common. Uh, people are being thrown in jail. People are dying for their faith. Uh, churches are being burnt. Uh, it goes to that level. Uh, and who, who's to say that that won't become a reality here? We don't know that. And it most likely will eventually. Uh, because wherever Christ is preached, there is going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution for the people that trust and love Jesus. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. They will suffer persecution. All who desire to live a godly life, or if we were to say all who desire to imitate those who imitate Christ, they will suffer persecution. It's no different today than it was then. And I want us to be prepared because we face persecution because the world hates God. The world hates Jesus and everything that has to do with Jesus. And everybody that has anything to do with Jesus. And Jesus told us this when he was talking to the disciples. He told them that the world would hate them because it hated him first. And here we see Paul. If you aspire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Because it goes against what the world believes to be true. It goes against everything the world holds dear. The Bible calls out the world on all these things that we treasure. And calls it what? Sin. And rebellion. And yet... We see here that Paul, Jesus, and several other portions of Scripture make it very clear that if we aspire to live a godly life, this is going to be a reality. This is going to be something that we need to embrace. We need to say, this is what being a Christian involves. So imitating the beha godly behavior of others is going to come with some level of persecution. In church, we need to embrace it. We need to embrace it. I know our natural reaction to these kinds of things is, ooh, I don't want that. And I understand that. Me, I don't want it either. I don't necessarily want to have that. But when it comes our way, if, when it comes our way, we need to be prepared to say, Lord, this is part of being a believer. This is part of loving you. This is part of being a Christian. And we want to suffer for your name's sake. We want to remain faithful to you in spite of it. We want to remain faithful through it. So we may be experiencing passive persecution now, but we need to prepare because it may become worse later. 
Paul Nyquist, he was one of the presidents of Moody, the, the most recent president of Moody, um, before the, the actual president now. Uh, and he said this in one of the books he wrote that was called Prepare. He said, persecution is a squeeze of Christians in five spheres of life. Private, family, community, national, and church. And in this book, he says that part of persecution is trying to silence the voice of believers so that we don't have influence in our world. Uh, so he says that is one of the ways in which persecution kind of manifests itself. When you see people, whether it's in our private life or in our families, in our communities, nationally, or in, even in the church, when you see people trying to silence our voice, trying to squeeze us to the point where we feel this pressure to just cower down and not say anything or do anything and live a life that, love, that honors God, uh, so it squeezes us into that to the point where we're just done. We're silenced. Now, we know that the church is never going to be stopped. We know that as much as the world tries, we will never be fully silenced. We know that. But nevertheless, we need to be prepared to endure these kind of things. And, and in his book, Dr. Nyquist, he speaks of this. He says, church, prepare. Be ready. Because we've had many years of a pretty comfortable type of Christianity. We've had a long, long time of being able to enjoy some of the freedoms that a lot of Christians around the world don't have and ne have never had. And, and for us, it's hard to understand that because we've had them for so long. We, we've come in, into the church uh, or we've come to Christ in that world. So when we think of persecution in other terms, it's really hard to fathom that. I don't know about you, but for me it is. And I want to take the warning and prepare to face persecution, even if it's the worst kind. Because here we see a church that received the word in much affliction. They knew that this was going to be a tough decision. They knew that it was going to come with some consequences. They knew that it was not going to be easy to say yes to God and no to the world that they had been living in for so long. They knew that becoming a Christian was going to be costly to them. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. But yet, God had a, grabbed a hold of their heart and changed them to the point where that didn't even matter anymore. Church, are we that kind of church? Are we imitators who understand that being someone who loves God is going to involve suffering? It's going to involve being persecuted. A.W. Tozer said this, To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. I probably could have said that and be done and made my point. But I love that, the way he says it so simply yet so profound. If we're going to be right with God, we're going to be wrong with a lot of other people. Or as he says, we're going to be in trouble with men. I think that's so true. It's so true when we are good imitators of godly examples, that's going to bring us some trouble. And we should be able to say, well, bring it on. Because my allegiance to God is over whatever kind of allegiance we have to anyone else. So here we see that imitating involves a level of suffering. And I want to encourage you, church, to continue to be strong in your faith, to be strong in your convictions, to, to continue to, to seek 
an example, a godly example in your life, regardless of what, what that costs you, because we know that it's worth it. In the next part of the verse, he says, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So we see here that a life of suffering is not devoid of joy in God. Uh, I know, I don't know about you, but when I normally think of suffering, joy does not come to my mind right away. Uh, when I think of suffering, I'm thinking sad, depressed, I hate this, I don't want it, why is this happening to me, this is hard, I, I want to move on, but I don't, I don't see the end in sight, that there's not, no light at the end of the tunnel, maybe that's being overly dramatic, I don't know, um, but there's times where suffering is, is just really, really difficult, um, and this idea of having joy in the midst of those moments that are really, really tough is hard to accept. It's really tough to say, oh yeah, I'm very joyful right now, even though I feel like the world is just crumbling. And I feel like my life is, is just really, really difficult. And let me tell you, in our own power, it is impossible. It is impossible to have a joy that only God can give us in the worst of times in life. But when we are in Christ and we have His Spirit dwelling in us, it's a spirit-produced joy that makes no sense to the world, but that it makes sense to us because we know that it is God working in us to help us to have joy when life stinks, when life is hard, when affliction comes our way. And I know, church, I am very aware that every single person in this room is going through different kinds of afflictions. Whether that may be some level of persecution or just suffering in general. I know that we're all experiencing things in life that, that we hate. And, and a lot of times we say, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? What are you trying to do through this? And it saps us of our joy. It saps us of our energy. And here we're seeing a reminder that these people, they received the word of God. They received it under very... Uh, tough circumstances with a lot of things that they knew they were going to have to sacrifice, but yet there was joy. They did it with joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the phrase there that is a key phrase. And Paul says something very interesting in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 that I want to share. He says this, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, here's a man, let's, let's stop and think this for a second. Here's a man who's gone through all kinds of suffering. And he writes about it in different parts of his letters. He's, he's experienced a lot. He's been beaten and he's gone through all these things. And then he gets to this chapter and we read this phrase, this light, momentary affliction. How can someone who's suffered that much have this kind of perspective to say, the suffering in this life, the afflictions of this life are light and momentary. When a lot of times we feel that they're really heavy and it's, they seem to go on forever, Paul says they're light and momentary. Why, how is he able to say that? The next part of the phrase, it says, that's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison compared to the glory that awaits us, the things of this life are light and they're momentary. 
compared to what God has for us in glory, which is eternal, that actually will never end, and there will be no suffering and no more affliction, compared to that weight of glory, the things of this life, as hard as they may be, are light and momentary. And then he says this, as we look not to the things that are seen, we're not putting our hope in the things of this world that we can see with our own eyes, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They come and go. They pass by. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's why Paul can say, even as much as he suffered, the things of this life, the afflictions of this life, are light and momentary and not burdensome and eternal. Because the weight of glory that awaits us is far greater. Church, that's encouraging. That's really encouraging for us to hear that whatever we're going through, whatever afflictions we have in life, they're not going to last forever. There will be an end to them. And in light of what's coming, they're light and they're momentary, even if it doesn't feel that way. And here we're seeing a church that we can learn from. They had understood that. They had received the word. They had received it with, <clears throat> with joy because the Holy Spirit was at work in their lives. So when we live a life of imitating those who imitate Christ, we are going to experience uh, suffering. But that does not mean that we cannot have joy at the same time. Because God is a God who gives us that joy that only He can give us. So we have this spirit-produced joy. Does it fuel you, church, to persevere through the different afflictions we experience in life? I think one of the great realities about the Christian life is that we can continue to have this joy despite all that we experience. God sends His Spirit to live in us and comfort us and illumine our minds uh, and, and give us that peace and that joy that only He can give us. And we, I want to encourage you and challenge you to continue to trust in the Lord to give you that joy in the midst of the hardest times. So being an imitator will be costly and it will bring suffering in some ways, but that does not rob us of the joy that we have. Let's continue reading the chapter. It says here that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So here we see that a life of imitation leads to a life of being imitated. A life of imitation leads to a life of being imitated. We see the, the Thessalonian church became an example to other believers in surrounding cities like Macedonia and Achaia, uh, Thessalonica, Philippi, which we also see in the scriptures, uh, and Berea. These were the people that uh, had listened to Paul and were examining the scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was true uh, and accurate. Uh, that was part of the Macedonian region. Then we see cities like Athens and Corinth. Uh, that was part of the uh, Achaia region. So it was a pretty large region that he's, he's talking about here. Uh, a lot of commentators agree that it was quite a, a pretty amount of land that we're, we're covering. So their example has spread to all these cities in all these places. 
That's pretty amazing. I mean, in a time where there's, there's no Facebook, there's no social media, there's no way to live stream a sermon, uh, and people all over the world can listen to it, uh, and we can spread the word that way. Um, they, they can kind of come and check out the church and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this was way before that. Um, now, it was really word of mouth. People walking through the city, meeting Thessalonians that were believers, and hearing about their, their experience and how God had changed their lives and, and all those kinds of things. Or Thessalonians going out and being faithful and sharing the gospel um, and spreading the word everywhere. Uh, that's how it was happening. And, and the impact, the amount of impact they had it was incredible. They were a great church and became a great example to follow. And here we see... One, that they were a great example in how they share the word. It says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, so they were being faithful in sharing that word and being biblical and preaching and teaching and sharing one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. It seems like this church was very active in that, in, in spreading the word so that it may go forth. But it says here as well, but your faith in God has gone forth Everywhere, so that we need not say anything. In other words, Paul didn't even have to talk them up. Paul knew that their faith and their life, along with their teaching, spoke for itself. And the churches around them could see that. The churches around them heard about it. They had been impacted by it. That's something that we look at and we go, man, we want to be that church. I hope that we would want to be a Thessalonian kind of church where we are imitating those who imitate Christ, and as we do that, others are watching and going, that's a church that's setting a good example for churches to follow, in teaching and in practice. And then he goes on, he says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So it word got around that they had left their old lifestyle. They had left their life of idolatry, and they had turned to a living and true God, not a God who was dead, not a statue, not an image, not whatever else they were worshiping. They had turned to the God, the only God who could change their lives. That spread. That's good news. That's gospel, church, where we could say to people, we've turned to God from idols. We are no longer rebels. We're no longer sinners who are in enmity with God, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been brought back to Him. Our sins have been forgiven. We are now in God's family because we have trusted in a God who lives and in a God who's true. And the Thessalonian church continued, and, and they said, it says here, they were waiting for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. Again, we have a living God Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this reality, uh, this hope that they had for the return of Christ was, was motivating them to live a life that honor God now. They knew that Jesus was faithful and true and that he would come back as he said he would. And church, we continue to believe that and we continue to uphold that truth. Christ will return. And that should give us hope and motivation to live a life that is a life that's honoring to the Lord. To live a life of imitating those who imitate Jesus. To live a life that brings Him all the glory and all the honor. Now, we may disagree on some of the views about the end times, and, and I mention this because we, we're going to talk about this more in the next several weeks. 
because uh, we see the return of Christ mentioned at, at the end of every chapter in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. Um, so you might have a premillennial view or a postmillennial view or a millennial view, or uh, as my father-in-law says, a, a, maybe you're a pan-theologian. It'll, it'll all pan out at the end. Um, you know, whatever view you hold, um, I think we can agree on the main point is that Jesus will come. Jesus will return. And we are expecting that return eagerly. We want him to come back. And he will come back. How? When? We can debate that. But he will come back. And that is a comforting truth for us and a motivating truth for us to say, Lord, until then, until then, we're going to continue to worship you. We're going to continue to model our lives after those who model it after you. We're going to continue to imitate those who imitate Christ and to say, become an example to others, to say to others, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, that might sound, sound a little arrogant at first. Um, you know, you might, people might go, well, who are you? Oh, high and mighty. Following you, oh, like you got it all together. That's, a lot of people have that reaction, right? But, but think about this for a second. If, if we truly are Following after Christ, it is not arrogant to say, especially to a younger believer, hey, I'm not perfect. You're going to see the good and the bad. I'm not high and mighty. Uh, uh, you're going you're gonna to realize that very quickly. But I have been following the Lord, and I, and I think you could benefit from following me as I follow Christ. There is a way to do that. Call it discipleship. Call it whatever you want to call it. Mentorship, role modeling. But for us to be able to get to a point where we know that we've been following after those who are role models in our lives, and for us to be able to take somebody under our wing and say, I, I want to show you in, in as, as imperfect of a way as I can show you what it's like to follow Jesus. I want to I teach you. I, I want to be an example to you. As we see here with Paul, Silas, and Timothy being an example to the Thessalonians and then them being an example to the people in Macedonia and Achaia. And church, that, that is a sweet thing to think through and, and think about the impact that that could have um, in, our, in our city, in our town, in our county. Uh, if we were all to make it a priority to be people who imitate those who imitate Christ and then welcome others along and say, come, come along with us. Follow us as we follow Jesus. That would be such an amazing thing to continue to see. And I know a lot of you are doing that already. But if you're not, I want to challenge you to think through people in your life that you could say, there's a lot I can learn from this person. They love God. I want to, I want to follow their example. And then in return, be that person to somebody else. So I'd leave you with that. Are you living a life of imitation? Are you rejoicing in, in the midst of suffering? Praying that the Lord gives you that, that inexplicable joy that only He can give you. And can you say to others, follow me as I follow Christ? Church, let's pray. And then Pastor Keith and the worship team is going to come up and continue leading us in worship. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we pray that you would help us to identify people in our lives who love you, who are following in your footsteps, that we can look to as role models, as examples, 
worthy of being imitated. We know that we're not imitating people just to imitate them. We're imitating them because they're imitating you. And Father, I pray that we would be humble enough to recognize that and to, to recognize the fact that role models are necessary. People to imitate help us grow. And Father, I pray that we would be that to others as well, that we would see great transformation in our church because we are taking this seriously. We thank you for this time. We pray that you continue ministering to us through song. And we ask that you give us a great week until we meet again. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.